Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's really an honor to host this podcast because I get to introduce listeners like you to some amazing women out there. You're going to get to hear all sorts of guests. You're going to hear their inspirational stories, both personal and professional challenges that they've overcome, how their backgrounds help to shape who they are today, and in many ways, how they're giving back to their communities and oftentimes the world. And joining me today is what an example of an amazing entrepreneurial trailblazer. Alison Grayless is on a mission to generate worldwide awareness of women in all areas of manufacturing. Ten years ago, Allison founded Women in Manufacturing. It's the only national trade association that's dedicated to providing support for women with a career in the industry. And today, that group has over 3,000 members representing over 1,000 manufacturing companies across every job function, from production to the C-suite. Really an amazing feat for Allison and her team. So join me in a warm welcome for Allison. Allison, thank you for joining the show. Great. Thanks for having me, Linda. So why don't we dive right in? You know, I always like to hear about our guest background and your background is I'm really struck by the fact that it's just so fully rooted in service and manufacturing. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and where you grew up and just whatever you can share? Sure. So I presently am in Ohio and my family has roots in the Northeast. So my parents were both born and raised in upstate New York. Uh, They both met each other there and my father professionally began work for Firestone Tire and Rubber Company. So his background in uh, working with Firestone brought him from Albany, New York, to Rochester, New York, to then ultimately Akron, Ohio, the kind of rubber city and rubber capital of Mm. the U.S. So our family moved, was the only to kind of leave upstate New York and found ourselves in Akron, Ohio, a great Midwestern city. And while being raised, I got to see my father kind of in manufacturing um, on the sales side for Firestone Tire and Rubber and spent um, some summers with him kind of on the job or or with him at work, which was interesting. Um, But never did I think I'd be working or connected to a manufacturing career. Um, My background (laughs) was that I was very interested in English. I had always had aspirations to be an attorney and or work in the public sector or in some sort of public service. Um, so I went to Ohio University and got my degree in English pre-law women's studies. And then um, from there, professionally, I got later my master's in public administration and ultimately found a career in trade association work. So you went from planning on law school to being recruited at an association? So I was in senior year and I uh, was actually expected to graduate early from Ohio University, which is where I attended. Mm-hmm. And rather than go home, because I had a um, house that was rented for the year and didn't really want to leave campus early, I decided to um, take that extra time and pursue a women's studies certificate or minor that they had denoted it as at Ohio University. So I got to take lots of great classes that personally meant a lot to me and where I'd always had interest in women's studies and their achievements and kind of how did we get to where we were present day. And during that time, I also started to question what I wanted to do professionally. So I always thought I wanted to go to law school and soon through conversation found that many of my other classmates were going to law school. And I was always very mission oriented. While I was at OU, I loved my academic studies and I loved going to classes and I loved my literature courses in particular. But at the same time, I was equally as passionate and involved in lots of campus activities throughout Ohio University. So I was involved in their student senate. I was involved 
in political organizations and women's organizations and in my sorority. And I think I was even more passionate about those campus activities than I was about my academic pursuits. So as I was looking career-wise at what I wanted to do, I thought, do I want to just academically spend more time in classroom getting ready to be an attorney, or do I want to do something that's mission-oriented and where I can really be on the job doing something that's very focused on either organizing or campaign or something to that degree? So I went to a job fair on campus at OU. And I found an opportunity to work with the Public Interest Research Group, which at the time they um, were recruiting young, you know, early career individuals, newly graduated individuals to work on good government issues, environmental issues, things that could immediately have an impact on consumers and Americans. So Mm -hmm. I was very impressed by their organization. I hadn't known of it prior. And so I decided to, at the time, to do a year of service with Public Interest Research Group, and it was an amazing experience. It was probably one of the most transformative for me professionally because they took me as a new college grad and gave me lots of experience training um, on the job as well as just exposure to so many things at a very young age. So it was really a very cool experience. And so I did that for a year. I was in Amherst, Massachusetts. I got to work as a campus organizer at UMass Amherst and Amherst College, Mm -hmm. and then took that year of great experience and then decided to go back to get my master's in public administration. And then after completing that is when I first found the opportunity to work for a trade association. So I had no idea what trade associations were, um, kind of how they were organized. But funnily enough, you know, they're very much organized like many of the other organizations I had worked with when I was on campus at Ohio Mm -hmm. University. So they were member-driven, you know, or they are member-driven. They're focused on a common cause or or commonality of their members. And I've loved it ever since I joined in 2001 um, within trade association work. But you started Women in Manufacturing, correct? Correct. So um, So I started at PMA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in 2001. And when I first started at PMA, I was first attracted to a position and recruited to um, work within their districts or their local chapters of PMA. And so I mm-hmm. got to travel the country, got to meet their members, help them with kind of organizing on their own respect and organizing programs and events and developing their own local boards of business leaders. And while doing that over the course of my career and then moving into other areas of PMA, I got to have the opportunity to meet lots of amazing women in metal forming. Mm -hmm. And while meeting them, I was so impressed by their stories that the fact that I was aware that, you know, they were definitely the minority of the companies and the people I was meeting in metal forming. And in 2009-10, we had a rising leader in PMA on the volunteer leadership group, which was a woman in metal forming, Gretchen Zurich of Zurich Manufacturing in Mount Kisco, New York. And she said, you know, during my chairman's term, I really would like to see, can I work and connect other women in metal forming? And so um, it was her vision that really first connected PMA to be a leader in bringing together their women's network. And then I, as staff, helped this women in metal forming group as we looked for resources, um, as we looked for content to help them in their efforts. Mm-hmm. and was shocked to find that there wasn't a national organization for women just generally in industry or women in manufacturing. So in 2010, I started looking and investigating to see what type of resources might we be able to offer as a trade association, and then likewise, what type of needs do women in industry really have? So we first started with an event. So I created an event um, that was meant to be kind of a, a conference to bring together women in industry and women in manufacturing, not just metal mm-hmm. forming. And then from there, what we heard from our 133 women that first joined us in Cleveland was, you know, how do I get involved? How do I stay engaged with you? 
you know, how do I join? And I quickly thought, gosh, there's really, really a huge need and interest here far beyond just a conference. So I then created a business plan. Um, We created levels of membership that people could join uh, Mm -hmm. very soon after our first conference and then uh, created these other benefits and services that can support women who are already in industry, careers and manufacturing, as well as the companies that they're affiliated with. So in nine years, you've gone from nothing to 3,000 members. Yes, it's been a journey. Yeah, I mean, when you think about that, just the sheer number of it over, you know, a relatively short period of time is pretty amazing. It's been an amazing journey, and I would say, you know, so very full circle for me professionally to get to, I mean, I've always had an interest in women leaders, women's empowerment, women having a community, and I think that's so very well rooted in my background. You know, I went to an all-girls school for my high school education. To me, it was fully transformative. Um, It changed how I thought about women in leadership, women's opportunity, that fearlessness factor that you can do anything. And we were supported educationally to do so. And so that piece and then taking that forth as I went to college and then beyond to now get to professionally work in a space that's empowering women, supporting them, inspiring them, um, helping them be more competitive and successful um, is so very satisfying and gratifying. And so I think looking at the journey that we've had, though, you know, I had never been, you know, lead in a startup. So Mm -hmm. having kind of a startup organization was definitely an experience and a learning journey for me. And what I found is that as we started the organization, um, we would not have been successful without the generous support of the Precision Metal Forming Association, who you know, helped incubate this organization as we got started, mm-hmm. and then very generously helped us with lots of you know, complimentary in-kind resources as we had our early years. And then in 2015, we became our official trade association and separated from the PMA as a unique different organization with a unique board of directors. Right. And now not only do we have our official association, we have our education foundation as well. But I, so I just want to take a step back, if I could, Allison, just that for our listeners out there, when you're hearing PMA, it's Precision Metal Association. Precision Metal Forming Association. Metal yeah. Forming Association. Okay, go ahead. And yeah, no, tell us about the Education Foundation. Why did you start it and how is it helping women? So the key impetus for us creating the Education Foundation was that we saw that one of our key services that we could deliver to individuals and companies was access to training and education. And as we surveyed our members at the time, which was a smaller group of individuals, we heard from them, we have these specific educational needs. And so we examined partners and I had been aware of a program that was existing at Case Western Reserve University that was a program for women in STEM. And so I talked with the people that created that program and said, how do we create something like this for women in manufacturing? So in partnership with Case Western Reserve University, we designed and created the first ever leadership lab for women in manufacturing. The key tenant of the program is to give women training, education, and coaching both peer and executive that can help them um, rise to kind of an ultimate level in their careers or a higher level in their careers. So when we launched that program, we were looking for partners because Case Western Reserve University is a very reputable and excellent educational partner, but Mm -hmm. also the program pricing is a bit outside of scope of what we would normally deliver ourselves. So in looking for a program partner, we were very lucky to have found a sponsor with uh, GE. So GE came on as a sponsor, but of course had a restriction, as many companies do, that they could only give to a 501c3. So they gave us a very generous first gift for our leadership lab, and that really was the kickstart for us getting our education foundation started to then be able to accept donations to a 501c3. And since that, 
time. It now has given more than 40 scholarships away to women to participate in our leadership lab and other programs. And it is constantly fundraising to support the creation and the scholarship support for future women to participate in programs. So it has been um, a great endeavor. And we know education is critical. So if you look at women's trajectory in manufacturing, you know, when we talk to them and when we survey them, they share that the biggest gap is leadership development and training. So Mm. we want our education foundation to be able to help develop new programs that can combat that and help with that, as well as to help provide financial support for companies and individuals that can't participate in these types of programs otherwise. And I'm sure you'll be following those women to see how they progress in their career, you know, with this nice uh, jumpstart you're giving them. Yes. That's amazing. That is really wonderful. So let's talk about, you know, the challenges. What are the biggest challenges? I mean, you said education, and and, uh, I love that you said, you know, leadership and training in particular. But can you talk a little bit more about the big challenges that women face today in both manufacturing, because I know you have unique challenges there, but, you know, throughout the world? Right. I mean, I think some of the biggest challenges that we see women in manufacturing and just women in industry or women in the workplace generally is, you know, a lack of community, which is one of the reasons that I founded Women in Manufacturing, so that women did have a peer community that maybe wasn't as organic or natural because we aren't necessarily half of the manufacturing workforce. So providing them that access to a community that can be a safe haven, can be a resource for advice sharing and information sharing and just general support is really critical. So I think that community is really one of those solutions that's necessary to combat that challenge of a lack of a community in manufacturing and other industries and in general kind of industry. I think as well some of the challenges that women face is that, you know, the, the culture is still changing in manufacturing. So while it's greatly improved since when I first started working in trade associations 19 years ago. It still isn't in all companies the most inclusive environment. So I think culture is changing, but maybe not as rapidly as Mm. it should have or as progressively as it could have many years ago. So I think culture is a challenge. But again, I think companies are more progressive than they ever were. And I think companies are realizing to stay viable, to stay competitive with other industries that manufacturing cultures have to change. And so there's lots of leaders that have recognized this or taking action, which I think is a really good and necessary thing. I think other and challenges. If you could just go back, just to talk a little bit more about women, in particular in manufacturing companies, because we still see so few women represented in the C-suite, yet Studies have shown, you know, time and again that when women are in the C-suite and they're in leadership positions, that companies, you know, can actually be more successful. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit more? Is that just because of the culture? What What are the reasons? I mean, I don't think it's just because of culture, but I think culture is a factor. I think that with manufacturing being a male-dominated place presently and historically, I think that women didn't necessarily understand their opportunity and how to get to larger positions or how to rise the ranks. I think they didn't see other female leaders, which could influence maybe their lack of motivation or confidence to go for an advancement or to look at getting a promotion um, Mm -hmm. or trying for a position that they didn't necessarily check off all the boxes of requirements. So I think with more women rising to leadership, even though it's not to the same level that we'd like to see, I think it helps. Every little bit helps of women that are at the top and that are leaders that can serve as examples and as role models for other women who might want to aspire to that type of position. I think women in leadership and manufacturing 
you know, there's still lots of challenges in terms of that network and, and getting them the right and necessary role models, mentoring, coaching. Um, that's why we are trying to help with our members paying it forward with meeting with other women, with identifying kind of mentee opportunities and mentor opportunities, um, because it's really critical for those who have been there, done that, to help pave the way and help give guidance and advice to those that futuristically may want to be a director of operations or a vice president of quality or to have a larger role in manufacturing companies. There's some guidance that's really useful for others to that pass along and share. And I, mm-hmm. I think companies, too, are becoming more progressive as it relates to work-life integration. And so women, as well as millennials and just general individuals working present day, want more flexibility. They're looking for, you know, opportunity to have career assignments, but also to have, uh, you know, career assignments that are challenging and exciting and perhaps, you know, overseas. But at the same time, they want to be able to to perhaps have a family or to support a partner's career growth as well. So I think companies are just changing. And I think that's going to be a good change that's going to help different types of candidates get recruited to their companies. Unfortunately, it's been a slow change. You know, it would be ideal to see that a little bit faster. So let's talk about, and you touched on that with, you know, the biggest influencers out there for you. I'm curious to know who are your biggest influencers? So, you know, I had lots of people that I think inspired and influenced me professionally and personally. You know, my mom was probably the first. She was always my biggest cheerleader. And I think kind of that mantra that I try to pay forward to my own daughter, who is 14 and that kind of that critical preteen age, um, mm-hmm. where there's often lack of confidence and a lack of direction. My mom always supported, you know, that concept of why not you, you can do this. Why not give it a try? And I think that that kind of encouragement she gave me to not the potential barriers and to give things a try, even if you might fail, that there could be learning and not failure. I think I'm trying to kind of share that same type of messaging to my daughter. Um, I think, you know, many of the instructors I had when I was in both high school, who were amazing female um, instructors for the most part, as well as in my graduate work, there were some great instructors I had there that were real female pioneers in public administration and their area of expertise. And then likewise, you know, as I professionally started to read lots of things on women in leadership and women entrepreneurs. I think there are just so many amazing stories of women who have created companies from nothing and or created careers, you know, for others who are in an industry that's male dominated. I personally love female comedians. And so from a very early Mm. age, I remember watching the Tracy Allman show with my mom and thinking this woman is doing really neat material and things that are kind of outside the box for a female comic. And, you know, I love, for example, Amy Poehler, and I love what she stands for. And we, we've worked with her organization, you know, Smart Girls, on, mm-hmm. you know, girls can do anything and they should be encouraged to do things that are non-traditional for them. And I, I just look at how she has greatly represented women in leadership and women in male-dominated fields. And also, I mean, when you talk about female authors, Emily Dickinson, Virginia Woolf, you know, you touched on people in an earlier conversation that we had because they, I mean, these are also writers who, despite their own personal challenges, found a creative outlet, you know, in prose and in their writing. Right. Yeah. I and mean, that was my area of focus. And I was getting my undergrad degree in English whenever I could. <laughs> I would focus and write on female authors. I mean, that where they stood in their place and time um, was mm-hmm. often very challenged. They, you know, some even had to write under pen names or couldn't themselves even be aligned or affiliated with their own work. And so I think, you know, these women who were trailblazers back in their historical place in fiction, they greatly inspired me. 
Yeah. And also, I, I believe you mentioned Gloria Steinem, who's also from Ohio. Yes. Yeah, I love Gloria Steinem. I, I was um, so happy to get to see her when she was last here in Cleveland, be part of her host committee. And she, Ms. Magazine was one of those things that I, I didn't know much about until I had one of my first jobs, which was at a local library in Akron. And it was a quiet and lightly trafficked library. <laughs> so I had lots of time to shelve and to look at kind of the reading materials that we had. And that's where I first found Ms. Magazine. And I loved it. I was kind of nutty and I would make photocopies of kind of the cartoons and the articles. And I created this whole kind of women's journal of all of these things that I wanted to consume and share and pass on to other girls I knew. And it's great. I mean, she started, she was part of a revolution and, and myself and other women who are in the same age ranks and, you know, beyond me and younger, we all get to kind of have an experience based on all this hard work, lobbying, um, influence that they were able to lend in years prior. Right. And at a time, which was, you know, when you look back and you think, oh my gosh, how did they do this? You know, talk about restrictions. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from um, a conversation that Gloria Steinem had with Bella Abzug um, many, many years ago where they said, I don't know who said it first, but somebody said that women today are finding that they're becoming the men that they wanted to marry. And I just just thought that was very profound. (laughs) What about business owners today? Who are some of your... uh, your favorites out there? I think as you and I had shared in conversation, you know, Sarah Blakely, I find to be really interesting, the uh, founder of Spanx. Mm -hmm. You know, she has an amazing kind of presence on social media. That's where I consume a lot of my news information. And on Instagram, you know, she shares her story, both the good and the bad sides of it, which is what I like. It's a realistic and authentic lens into what a real life of a female entrepreneur looks like. And she shares kind of that work-life integration, you know, up close and personal. She's got four kids, married late. She's launching new brands, has launched a very successful business. You know, she is constantly speaking on campuses and at conferences to inspire that next generation. And I like that she seems to be doing it all very authentically. She laughs at the fact that she is addicted to cheeses and that's not very health conscious. (laughs) And just her silliness, I like because that's our real lives. I don't think that, you know, I get concerned sometimes that up and coming women or young women that are looking to be successful professionally thinks it's all perfect and it's not. There are lots of concessions and lots of challenges and I think you have to do it with humor and humility and I like that Sarah Blakely seems to be very authentically um, sharing what it's really like to be a female entrepreneur and leader to future generations. Yeah. This summer I followed her road trip that she had with her family which was oh, yes. filled with was- Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they had like a Scooby-Doo van. And, and that's what, I mean, I think, you know, show people what the person is really like. You know, we're, no one who's leading is a robot. We all have feelings. We all have experiences that have shaped us. And we're all really living life. And so I, I like that she's kind of sharing that part of herself with her yeah. followers. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. We're imperfect and we should embrace it. Yeah. So let's talk about new projects that you're working on on the horizon. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. I believe you have a Hall of Fame that's coming out or that's being right. started. So it is. So early on in Women in Manufacturing's inception, we talked about, you know, not only supporting, which our mission is to support, promote, and inspire women who have selected careers in manufacturing, but we also talked about all of those women who have come before current women in careers. 
and the, the concept or idea of how do we celebrate these trailblazing women was often discussed at board meetings and at conferences. And so our board of directors has supported us creating the Women in Manufacturing Hall of Fame, which we're thrilled to celebrate and induct our first class of individuals into the Women in Manufacturing Hall of Fame next September on the 30th, the last day of our annual summit in Cleveland, Mm -hmm. Ohio, where we held our first conference. So uh, we plan to have this inaugural class celebrated, inducted that evening of September 30th, 2020, and from there each year celebrate new classes of inductees into the Hall of Fame. And these are women who have left their mark, who have made significant contributions to manufacturing, trailblazing women that have changed that pathway and that trajectory for other women thereafter. That's great. Those women are going to be amazing. Now, do you have a limit? How many women do you expect to be in there in the first class? So we don't know what the class size will necessarily look at. I mean, it's really based on the, the criteria that we've set forth. So right now, nominations are open for people to be nominated for consideration, um, but really based on the caliber and the kind of class that we see coming together will dictate how many actual inductees we have. I would assume it would be someplace around 10 to 12 potential inductees for year one. Mm, that'll be great. And so maybe you could just talk about, are there any other new projects that are on the horizon? Although that sounds like quite a bit right there. So we have lots. We're celebrating our 10th annual summit. So that's a big meeting that we produce each year annually. It's being held in conjunction with the gala and the inductees for the Women in Manufacturing Hall of Fame. So that's the 28th and 29th, half day of the 30th. So it's all co-located in Cleveland next year. So we're right now working on that conference. We also do some specific programming around women in automotive. So we know that's an area where women are underrepresented and they're not rising the ranks as quickly or, or as um, successfully as women in other industries have. So we're working on our spring program for women in automotive presently. And then we also are working on more training and education resources for companies and individuals. So we have a career and programming committee that works specifically with us. It's, it's member-led, so they have 12 individuals from lots of different size companies. Um, and different companies that help us in new program creation and in new curriculum. So we're working on um, that next step beyond Leadership Lab. So what is that other executive level programming that we could offer? So what other classroom education needs do they have and how can we have a solution for that? And then as well, we're looking at early and mid-career. So we have a management development program that is intended for early rising leaders, but we think that there is this need for a precursor program. And then as Mm -hmm. well, a management program beyond that. Cheryl Sandberg, I think it was last week in the Wall Street Journal, was interviewed and talked about that lack of support and that lack of success we seem to have in getting women beyond the manager level. So mm-hmm. we see that as a critical area where we need to step in and figure out, okay, how do we better help? How do we better encourage, inspire, and train women to move to that next level beyond management? So those are things that we have in development so that in 2020, we hope to roll out, roll out more virtual programming that can help and reach women, and then as well, more live programming and classroom work that can help women rise. That's great. That's the reason why you have 3,000 members today. You're obviously responding to their needs. One of the things that I do like to ask every guest is, you know, you've kind of touched on a few things, but what's the best advice that you've ever gotten, and how did it change you? So I think the advice that I see surfacing a lot more, I think even in today's climate, of that concept, and it was something my, my mom first encouraged me, which was that concept of why not you or why not me personally when it came to uh, 
you know, a program or an award or a seat that I thought maybe was too outside of my boundaries. And my mom always challenged me to say, why not? You, of course, apply. Who cares if you don't get selected, you're going to get selected, but why not put your name in the ring or try this? And so I think that I see even present day as kind of still what follows me. I don't have much fear when it relates to going for things. And I think, Mm. um, again, that's something I'm trying to espouse in my daughter is that what is the worst thing that can happen? You don't get it or you don't, you aren't the selected candidate, but wouldn't you hate it more if you weren't the one who even applied or if you didn't try it? And so I think I live my life that way. And sometimes I think my team even thinks, I'm sometimes crazy. <laughs> Some of the things I want us to, to try or to apply for or to attempt. But I think it's that lack of trying that to me would be an awful experience. And so I think that my mother instilled very early on has um, definitely influenced how I live my life professionally and personally. And I think that it's a mantra most women or all women I wish could find that, you know, confidence is a challenge for lots of folks. And if only we could help people become more confident and to be more of a risk taker and to be more of a, um, you know, an explorator when it came to new things, I think we'd all be better off. Yes, no, absolutely. I love it. If you don't put yourself out there, you'll never know. You obviously have a very wise mother (laughs) (laughs) and a lucky daughter who gets to uh, have this, uh, you know, wonderful advice passed down on the generations. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. So unfortunately, we're at the end of our show, but Allison, I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story, your, your journey, your mission, and you know we wish you lots of continued success. So thank you. And yeah, uh, for you our listeners, you oh, today. thanks. And for our listeners out there, if you want to learn more about women in manufacturing, go to their website at www.womaninmanufacturing.org. Check it out. Check out that Hall of Fame. If there's anybody out there that you'd like to nominate, that would be wonderful. But consider being a member and uh, tapping into lots of these educational programs that they've got. So uh, until then, goodbye, and we'll see you on our next program. Thank you for joining the WAM Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.